Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Bearded Things. I'm one of your bearded hosts. My name is Chris, and I'm here with my buddy Tyler. How you doing, Tyler? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It is uh, Christmas time everywhere. There's yeah. no escaping the music. <laughs> like I've come to the like realization, just going like you know we're we're in, I'm based in Los Angeles, and everything's back in lockdown masks are required everywhere and i'm not complaining about that i think that's great and fantastic what i am going to complain about though is there's like 15 christmas songs and it's just re-sung by 15 different people yeah and that's it that that is literally it and that's the part that's kind of getting to me yeah i'm not a fan like at work we have a christmas playlist where it's like Two years ago, it was all Christmas songs during like the Christmas season, and everyone complained that there's too much Christmas songs. And now it's like the regular kind of weird, like sort of modern, sort of 70s, 80s music that CVS plays all the time. And then it's like, you know, you go from like Duran Duran, Madonna, Paula Abdul, Mariah Carey singing Christmas songs. It's yeah, like, oh. it's it's rough. It's, it's really rough. Yeah, it's not fun. Um and like you said, yeah, it's like the little cheap knockoff Christmas songs that like, you know, the words, you know, the song, you're like, I don't know who this is. And I don't like this cover. Yeah. But it, it's the same songs. Like, that's it. You can only hear I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and like, I, you know, all, all those other ones so many times in a day before you start <laughs> to go crazy and your ears bleed. Mm-hmm. My favorite Christmas song of all time is, well, two of them. My fir- favorite Christmas song of all time is Donde Esta Santa Claus by Augie Rios. <laughs> it's a great uh, song. I love that song so much. And the other one is Feliz Navidad just because it's so like kind of upbeat. And that one played at work the other day and I was like dancing and like singing to it. And everyone's like, why are you singing the song? I'm like, because it's an amazing Christmas song. And like, it's not that great. I'm like, I don't care. It's not like you're not that great. It's a great freaking yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the bus. Shut your face. <laughs> I mean, it was a customer that was saying that, but whatever. He can still be the customer's boss. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's, I don't know, it's fun. Those are fun Christmas songs, but everything else, like you said, exactly. Like the same rendition song, slightly different melodies, slightly different, you know, a little more bass in their voice, a little less bass in their voice. It's just, it doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't get it. There, there's one that I, I don't particularly like, but because an old coworker of mine said this song triggers like the Christmas season for him. Now when I hear it, it triggers it for me because it reminds me of him getting triggered by this song. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, I think it's just wham. It might be George Michael, but it's uh, the last Christmas I gave you my heart. That one. Yeah. Oh, that's a good song. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, it's not my favorite, but now when I hear it, I'm like, oh, it's Christmas time because my old coworker <laughs> said it's Christmas when that song plays. Exactly. So I can get down with that. I lied. My favorite Christmas song of all time is The Little Drummer Boy, but it's like the han something something quartet thing from like the 60s it's like the old like bunch of old guys singing it that's my favorite christmas song only could think of like the bing crosby david bowie crossover cover oh yeah bum bum it was essentially that for like five minutes yeah i mean of course i mean it's what majority of the song the song makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) oh man so i I, if we're talking favorite christmas songs i would probably I don't really have like a favorite Christmas song. I actually don't really like Christmas. Um, the Christmas time is here from the Charlie Brown Christmas album by the Vin Guaraldi uh, trio. That song is my ultimate favorite depressing Christmas song. 
mm-hmm. just makes me super bummed out. But I mean, I guess Christmas does altogether. So I guess it encapsulates the holiday, encapsulates the holiday for me. Um, and then probably um, two albums that I have to hear every Christmas. The Brian uh, Setzer Orchestra's Christmas album and Elvis Presley's Christmas album. Nice. Like, I just love those albums start to start to finish. And I think they're great. I did become obsessed with the, it was maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I don't, I'm going to show my age here. Um, it was like when YouTube was first kind of coming out. They had the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh, yeah. crazy, like, electronic Christmas version. The and then Carol of the Bells. Like, yeah, and they set their lights, the Christmas lights to it. And it was, like, my favorite thing. And so I was obsessed with that song for a couple of years. It's a great cover of that song. Mm-hmm. It might be the best cover of that song. I think so. And, like, those light shows, they're pretty great when you when No, you yeah, it's it great, yeah. You have to, like, set up your whole computer and shit to it, but it's it's cool. It's worth it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> All the neighbors hate you forever. Totally, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Because then they forget about it, and by the time it hits again next year, they're, they're all is forgiven. Then they get pissed at you again, and then the cycle keeps repeating until somebody moves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, so before we go too far down the uh, Christmas hole over here, uh, what are you going to be covering today? I am covering a sort of local ghost story called, about the ghost of Alivis Adobe. Excellent. I am going to be covering, um, well, since it is Christmas time after all, I'm going to be covering the South Pole, not the <laughs> North Pole, because Santa gets plenty of credit. So we're going to delve into the haunted lore and ghosts of the South Pole. Nice. Is the South Pole, that's the one that has penguins, correct? Yes. Like, North Pole doesn't have anything. It's just glacier. I thought North Pole had polar bears. They have, well, they're starting to die off. Well, I guess there's nothing up. Yeah. Global warming. It doesn't exist. Fake. Fake. I wore a sweater today. How warm could it have been? Right. Yeah. It's supposed to snow today. Yeah. Uh, South Pole is actually, there's landmass underneath it. They, there's actually a whole mountain range that we've discovered. It's three miles under ice. We just mm-hmm. haven't physically touched it. So, yeah. Nice. Should we just uh, get going? Jump right in? Let's do it. Okay, great. Uh, you, you went first last week, so I believe I am up this week. Yes, sir. So, like I said, I'll be doing the Ghosts of the South Pole. And as we get closer to Christmas, all eyes are on the North Pole. And rightfully so, Santa's workshop is putting in the long hours to make their Christmas deadline. Alvin vacation requests have been canceled. It's all hands on deck. While it's a flurry of toy construction and lists being checked not once, but twice at the North Pole, the South Pole is just as active, but not with the spirits of Christmas. See what I did there? See how I tied it all together? Clever. Well Thank done. You. Proud of it. <laughs> it gets cheesy later, but we'll, we'll get there. Perfect. I'll bring my wine. Antarctica is surprisingly full of scientists and researchers, about 1,100 in the wintertime and up to 4,400 in the summers. And because they're scientists, they did the math. They estimate that there's approximately one entity for every nine living people. And for an entire continent, that's actually a freaking lot. One of the most famous among the scientists is the haunted schooner Jenny. The Jenny is a ghost ship you might not have heard of, but it's a legend and it's pretty crazy. The Jenny was found frozen inside an ice barrier of the Drake Passage in 1840, almost 20 years after it first disappeared in 1823. One of the most haunting aspects of the Jenny was the last entry in the captain's logbook, which reads, May 4th, 1823. No food for 71 days. I am the only one left alive. 
the captain who wrote this message was, was sitting in a chair with a pen in his hand when the whaling ship that discovered the Jenny in an ice bank, ironically, the ship that found the doomed Jenny was named the Hope. <laughs> According to an article written about the discovery of the Jenny, they believe the Jenny was caught in an ice wall and remained hidden until that wall finally broke open. The crew of the Hope sighted a battered ship, but it appeared to be manned. In fact, seven men were even standing at attention on the main deck. However, as the Hope approaches, they realize that these men were not dutifully standing at attention in the cold. They were, in fact, frozen solid. Damn. Captain Brighton of the Hope was the first to board the Jenny to investigate. Below deck, he came across the captain, eerily frozen solid, writing his last entry in the ship's log. Some reports say that the crew of the Hope buried all of those frozen aboard, including the captain's wife and his dog at sea. Others say that they left everything as is, except the logbook which they took aboard. Being that the article was written 100 years ago, the facts have been lost to time. One thing they know for sure is the Jenny is still occasionally spotted from time to time, floating silently with its crew at attention on deck, perhaps to warn other sailors of the deadly waters ahead. Another legendary specter of the frozen tundra is that of Sir Ernest Shackleton's ghost. Sir Ernest Henry Shackleton was an Antarctic explorer who led three British expeditions to the Antarctic. He was one of the principal figures of the period known as the heroic age of the Antarctic exploration. Essentially, he was an Arctic badass. He set Antarctic records for the highest climb and furthest expedition south. And en route to what would be his final expedition, Shackleton suffered a heart attack. He literally just sucked it up, walked it off, and made it to his base on the small island of South Georgia on the Antarctic coast, where he finally called for the team medic, Alexander Macklin. This is a, a literal quote from their last exchange. You've been overdoing things, and you should try to lead a, quote, more regular life, to which Shackleton answered, you're always wanting me to give up things. What is it I ought to give up? Chiefly, alcohol, boss, replied Macklin. A few moments later, at 2.50 a.m. on 5 January 1922, Shackleton suffered a fatal heart attack and passed away. Insert Sir Edmund Hillary, a conservator placed in charge of documenting and preserving Shackleton's hut and all of the artifacts still inside. It was still completely stocked with food, uh, tools, and utensils. While he was at the isolated hut, he had an encounter with who he believed was the ghost of Shackleton. He went on the record to say, Quote, I'm not a person who really sees things very much, but when I opened the door, I distinctly saw Shackleton walking towards me and welcoming me, he said. It's the only time I can ever remember something like that, so I have very warm feelings indeed for Shackleton and for his hut, and I really believe Shackleton's hut must be preserved. Shackleton has always been my hero. I still admire enormously his courage and skill in the moments of danger. Another explorer who met his fate on the icy continent is Robert Falcon Scott and his team. In the early 1900s, the race was on to be the first to reach the geographic South Pole. In 1911, British explorer Robert Falcon Scott and his team set out on the Terra Nova expedition and set up camp at the edge of the Great Ice Barrier. While some men stayed behind with supplies and shelter, the rest of the team ventured onwards. The expedition did not go completely as planned. A rival reached the South Pole about a month before his team. In 1912, Scott and four other men he had selected to join him on the expedition died on their way back to the hut. Frostbite, gangrene, and starvation plucked them off one by one. 
On March 29, 1912, Scott recorded his final journal entry. Every day we have been ready to start for our depot, 11 miles away. But outside the door of the tent, it remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker. Of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. R. Scott. Last entry. For God's sake, look after our people. Scott's hut still stands, and people who have visited say they felt uneasy and comfortable. Voices and footsteps have been heard, and some people felt like they were being watched. There's also a cross place close to the hut in memory of a member of the Scott expedition who passed away. There's also hundreds of plane crash victims that haunt Ross Island. Antarctica became a frequent tourist destination in the 1970s. Tourists booked day trip flights from New Zealand and enjoyed a leisurely aerial view of the harsh icy continent. One such trip turned fatal due to low visibility and pilot error. The plane crashed into the side of Mount Erebus at 300 miles per hour, and the impact instantly killed all 257 passengers. Apparently, the corpses were stored at McMurdo Station, an American base on Antarctica's Ross Island, and many visitors to the site believe the ghosts of the people are still hanging around. Visitors claim to hear voices, seashore trails of unexplained footprints, and feel strange presences. One McMurdo station worker has said, As soon as I entered, something was weird. I took a couple of steps in, and the hair on the top of my head stood up on end. There was footsteps upstairs, undeniably footsteps. A slow cadence of footsteps. I, I, I froze. I, it went from the back of the building to the front, and then silence. There are many more ghost stories, but my favorite is the government whistleblower who is only known as, quote, Brian. The following is so fantastical and insane, it has to be true because, well, I want to believe and the truth is out there. <laughs> or this is all just a bunch of crap. Mm. Brian, 59, remember Brian is a pseudonym, not his real identity, alleges he is a retired U.S. Navy petty officer, first class flight engineer, and in a squadron called the Antarctic Development Squadron 6. He claimed to have been part of a crew that flew through a, quote, no-fly zone above Antarctica and saw UFOs and a giant entrance hole to an alien base. He's said to have been stationed there between 1983 to 1997. When he retired and on several occasions, he saw aerial silver disks flying over the Trans-Antarctic Mountains. He claimed there was a top-secret collaboration between humans and aliens with Antarctica being a major research ground for the projects. He also said a group of scientists had gone missing for a week and came back terrified and refusing to speak. Then, at a camp near Marie Birdland, some dozen scientists disappeared for two weeks, and then when they reappeared, Brian's flight crew got the assignment to go pick them up. Brian says they would not talk and their faces looked scared. He said, quote, Another unique issue with South Pole Station is that our aircraft was not allowed to fly over a certain area designated five miles from the station. The reason stated because of an air sampling camp in that area. This didn't make any sense to any of us on the crew because on two different occasions we had to fly over this particular spot. It was on the opposite side of the continent and we had to refuel at the South Pole and a direct course to this Davis camp was right over the air sampling station. The only thing we saw going over this camp was a very large hole going into the ice. You could fly one of our LC-130s into this thing. 
talk among the flight crews was that there is a UFO base at South Pole, and some of the crew heard talking from some of the scientists working and interacting with the scientists at the air sampling camp slash large ice hole. Now, that sounds kind of crazy. But a paranormal investigative website called Earth Files did a full-scale investigation into the story and through military records found and has published a redacted DD-214 document, which is military discharge papers for personnel, and Antarctic service medals given to Brian on November 20th, 1984, in a bid to confirm his credentials. So it turns out this guy's actually legit. He was actually there. That's crazy. So while the North Pole may be covered in snow, but warm in holiday spirit, the hmm. South Pole had decided to literally be its polar opposite. Womp, womp, I'm womp. not ashamed of that joke as much as I should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you got ghosts, you got possible UFOs, and a government whistleblower who says all of that is legitimately true. But we don't really know much about this guy. He could still be making it all up. I haven't been there, so I don't know. Nice, man. That's awesome. That's a uh, kind of, yeah, like the guy tying everything together and kind of everything being verified is like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, he could be full of shit, but that's. He's decorated. Kind of crazy. Yeah. If it's, if it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's a decorated person. Like, if that's true, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, by all other accounts, if he would have said this about anything else, we would mm -hmm. like wholeheartedly believe what he's saying. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, since it's about UFOs, we're like, this guy's a nut job or he's full of yeah, shit. You automatically cast them aside. Yeah, but what if he's not? What if this is true and aliens are at the South Pole? That I, would be... I mean, it kind of makes sense. There's just so much space on it. We don't really explore it too much. It's one of the most inhospitable places on Earth. And it's like, well, I mean, if we're going to go somewhere, that's where we'd go. Yeah, I mean, in the summer times, there's less than 5,000 people that live there. Like, And it's a huge chunk of land. Anything oh, yeah. could be happening there. Mm-hmm. I guess with uh, global warming, we'll find out soon enough what's <laughs> under the ice. That's true. We'll just have to wait and see. All right. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. All I'm saying is the penguins can slide on. Oh, hey, guys, we're back. <laughs> I love penguins, for the record. <laughs> they are. They're cool. They're, like, they're, and they're them. adorable, and they have little tuxedos on. They're classy. They're the classy yeah, animals. Very classy. Um, <laughs> okay. So now we're going to get into our banter with the Beardsleys. So, my friend, what is Banter with the Beardsleys? It's a very classy section of our podcast. <laughs> Indubitably, sir. <laughs> uh, so, basically, Banter with the Beardsleys is our unscripted kind of fun portion. We take uh, questions submitted by you, the listener, and we read them on the air. We talk about whatever it is that you pose to us in, in a question. It could be anything ranging from our favorite recipes to you know what do we do on a sunday night when we have nothing to do which is never because we record on sunday nights true um but just random questions things you want to know about us things that you just want our opinion on you submit them and we read them on the air and i believe chris you have this week's question that is correct i do it comes from anonymous and it's a two-parter i'm going to split it up because they're both very Ooh. good questions so the first question they asked was, uh, what are your Christmas traditions? Ooh, that's very fitting. Very festive for the yeah. holiday season coming up. Or I guess we're in the holiday season. Um, so I actually don't celebrate Christmas anymore. I don't celebrate the holidays. Um, but before when I celebrated Christmas, I, I was never a huge Christmas fan. Um, 
not to sound like you know very hipster and like, but it's hey, christmas time mr scrooge yeah i know uh, um i just i don't know christmas was always supposed to be about the family and everything getting together it just never seemed like that it always seemed like everyone was just trying to one one up each other with gifts and you know you didn't get me this gift and you didn't get this and then it's just it's a hot mess but uh aside from that my traditions i guess uh, I was always big. I was always the one that put up like the Christmas lights around the house and like, you know, get the tree and decorate the tree. That was something I really enjoyed from the time I was like a little kid and like in middle school, high school, you know, like when I was old enough, I kind of do things on my own. I would like sketch out like what lights we had and like make a little plan for like where to put the lights up on the house and everything. And so that was something I always did. Um, and that was really, <laughs> sounds stupid. That was really like the only Christmas tradition I had, like, I, you know, very small family. We wouldn't do much. Um, it was kind of just put up the tree, put up the lights, and that was it. Um, I know a lot of people have crazy like Christmas Eve traditions and the week leading up to Christmas and all this stuff. Like we didn't really have anything like that. We were, uh, I don't know. We didn't have that much fun. We were kind of poor <laughs> growing up, so it was kind of like, well, you just, you know, here's Christmas. Have a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so yeah, I would spend the time. You know, we'd put on some Christmas music and I would put up Christmas lights and climb up on the roof and see how high I could get on the roof without scaring myself. And then wait, what kind of older talking? Cause I pretty much did that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, jumping off the roof to see if I can jump off and not break my ankles. Um, but I feel like every kid does that at some point. You just want to jump off the roof just to see if you can do it. It's like a rite of passage. At yeah, least it's yeah. a, it's a boy thing. I think probably. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, who knows if you're a girl and you jump off the roof, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. I just know like me and like a lot of my like guy friends growing up, we had uh, we lived in these really bad two story apartments, mm. and you had a like the initiation into nothing because we'd hang out with you anyways. Was <laughs> you had to jump off the balcony, you had to sneak up the balcony on the second story apartment, and then jump off. And we all did it, and I don't know why we did it. it we just did it. You had to prove your toughness. I guess I don't. We also all played sports and stuff, so we all knew we were tough. I don't know, <laughs> but now I'm afraid of heights, so. Yeah, Perfect. that was, uh, yeah, good timing. I did it. Well, Probably not correlated at all. Probably not. No, not <laughs> in the least. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on the lack of Christmas cheer. Um, most of my life I've been somewhat of an, like, kind of essentially an orphan. And Christmas just isn't the same if you don't really have family to hang out with and do family things with. Um, not knocking it, not like a, a little sad corner, but it's just, mm. it, the magic of Christmas is like, you know, the Oprah Hallmark type thing with lights <laughs> and festive dinners and people oh, are happy exactly. and smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Never had that. And, uh, you exactly. know, so as like in my twenties, I'm very old now, uh, my, my favorite thing to do. And, uh, it still kind of is in a lot of ways, uh, Christmas Eve, I'd go to KFC, get a bucket of chicken with some potatoes, biscuits, and gravy, mm. and then put that in the fridge Christmas day right? Well, I jumped ahead a little bit. So I'd go and get that, maybe eat a wing or two and start playing the 24 hours of a Christmas carol and, or not Christmas carol, Christmas story where you shoot your eye out kid. Um, yes. so I'd start that Christmas Eve, uh, maybe play some Xbox games or something and then, uh, go to bed, wake up Christmas day, throw some of that KFC in the oven. So it gets reheated and crispy and then, uh, continue watching a 24 hours of a Christmas story and then that's kind of kind of it. Maybe play some more Xbox or watch a movie. 
or something. And that's kind of uh, as exciting as it gets in the old uh, Alton household. There's yeah, not a, <laughs> not a very festive person. I just I'm I'm the older I get, the more I understand where Ebenezer Scrooge was coming from. And I'm really relating to him right now. And I think it's really rude that these ghosts came and started tormenting him to force him to change into something he didn't want to be. He was fine. And I get that. And sometimes you just want to be left alone and uh, say bah humbug. (laughs) To everyone. Bah humbug. Bah humbug. But for the record, the animated A Christmas uh, Carol with Jim Carrey and Gary Oldman, one of the best. I'm just putting it out there. That one was really good. Yeah. I liked it. And the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, I was like, that's I, probably my favorite is the Muppet Christmas one. That one was good. And then, like, there's a great credit of Rizzo the Rat playing himself. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, not a very exciting Christmas tradition. Do I wish it was different with, like, a white Christmas and hot cocoa and all that jazz? I don't know. Probably not. That just seems excessive and, like, a lot of work to maintain. Yeah, and I I don't know. Like I get the white Christmas and everyone's like, I wanna have a white Christmas. I wanna wake up when it's snowing on Christmas Day. Like we grew up in Southern California, we grew up in Oxford, there's no fucking snow. Um so I feel like that was never like that was just wasn't something that was never achievable, you know. Um I've only been to the snow like three times in my entire life. Like it's in I think one time was during like the winter time. So it was actually well, it was always during the wintertime because it was snowing. But like <laughs> around Christmas, like in December, I think I've only been there like once. Um, and it was just, I don't know, like it's it's cool. But then it's also like, all right, like I get it, but I don't get it. Like I've only touched snow twice. The first time, <laughs> this is very sad. I was, uh, I think, on my way to Las Vegas and uh, it, we were driving through Lancaster mm-hmm. and there was snow in a parking lot of a Target. So I pulled over so I can make a snowball. Nice. And that was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And then the next time it was, I it was, I don't know if it was Christmas day, but it was in December. It might've been right after Christmas. Anyhow, uh, I'm in New York. I'm actually walking through central park, like in the middle and there was snow on the ground. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of cool. I'm like, kind of want to make a snow angel. And the person I was with is like, you don't want to do that. Cause we're not done walking and you're going to be drenched. Not worth it. <laughs> so I'm like noted. Okay. And so we kept walking and all of a sudden it was like a 14 inch blizzard that just like nice. poured down. And I'm like, now I have a lot of snow. I can, I can say <laughs> I've been in the snow. It's perfect. Yeah. And my beard literally froze. Here's what happens. So uh, we have giant beards and the giant beard caught all of the snow that was like falling. Right. And then <laughs> so your, it starts to melt. Yeah. Your body temperature melts the snow, but it's like minus 17. So then that melted snow freezes so I had beard sickles happening, and it was very painful. It felt like a bunch of knots in my beard. That sucks. Yeah. That sounds good. No, so that was like my my white Christmas. And uh, if that's what it is, I'm good. I am very good. <laughs> you had like a Hallmark Christmas movie gone wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'm I'm a, a you know a California beach boy. Grew up on the beach in California. I'm good with like a cold winter at 68 degrees. <laughs> um yeah christmas is not for me let's go back to halloween right yeah i love yeah let's we'll just do halloween year round <laughs> instead of like trying to be happy and cheerful right. to everybody yeah. bah humbug <laughs> exactly <laughs> and this has been the bah humbug corner <laughs> right it's like the 
um in the movie the grinch like when when he's like a little kid and he's in class and he picks up the christmas tree and he throws like i hate christmas and he throws the the tree out the window that's how i feel sometimes that's that was my heart speaking yeah <laughs> through the grinch <laughs> oh they like your heart grew three times that day. <laughs> no no it <laughs> shrunk to match the grinches and i'm like i get it yes yes queen yes <laughs> <laughs> But for everybody else, it's not that I think I speak for Tyler on this one. It's not that we don't want you to have a great, beautiful Christmas. Exactly. We hope you do. We hope it's fantastic. We hope you get to spend it with, if it's not your loved one, it's, it's people you do care about or people that can at yeah. least make you laugh all day. But we hope you get all the presents that you desire or need, even if you don't realize it at the time. And uh, yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas to you. And yeah. actually, on that note... Uh, happy Hanukkah to everyone. I feel really bad. Yeah. Not acknowledging it. A couple days ago. Yeah. yeah it's like the beginning. a day three or four right now. I'm I not so. sure. It started on the 10th. So I think it's day three. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, happy Hanukkah. I don't know how happy that Shonica. works. Yeah. I through uh, ancestry.com and doing like the DNA test. It turns out I am part Jewish. And, uh, so somebody can enlighten me on what I should be doing to, you Mazel know, tov. yeah, to, to do my, my duties as a chosen person. Let me know. Maybe, maybe that's what's missing. Maybe I've been yeah. celebrating the wrong holiday all along. It could be. I'm gonna try it. I think maybe I really need something. to try. It. Do I have to convert to celebrate Hanukkah? I believe so. Gotcha. On that note, that's been banter with the Beardsleys. Yeah. Are you ready to get into your story, sir? <laughs> I believe so. Yes. All right. So for today's topic, I mentioned earlier that I'm doing something a little closer to home and it's a location that I've actually personally visited both as a child on a field trip and as an adult, like actively looking for ghosts. And the name of this place, as I mentioned before, is the Alivis Adobe and it's nearby here in Ventura, California. And I want to tell you a little bit about it and then also about the many ghosts that have been sighted. The Alivis Adobe was built back in 1841 by Don Raimundo Alivis. He was gifted 2,250 acres of land as part of a land grant by Mexican Governor Juan Batista Alvarado, and it was for Alivis's service to the Mexican Army. The original name of the house was the Rancho San Miguel. Upon building the house, Mr. Olivas and his wife, Teodora, did what any new homeowner does when they build a new house, and they got to making babies. So many babies, in fact, that in 1849, just before California would become a state, Olivas had to build a second story to the house. This was unique as most ranch style homes in the area in the time were only one story. The second story was definitely needed, however, as Theodora and Raimundo had 21 kids. The Olivas family grew up and enjoyed life on the, on the land and spent years cultivating the ranch, which made Raimundo a very rich man. However, when Don Raimundo Olivas died in 1879, Rancho San Miguel, as well as his wealth, was split amongst Theodora and the 21 children. For various reasons, mainly to pay off debt, the family sold more and more plots of land from the original grant given to Raimundo, so much so that in 1899, the property was no longer owned by anyone in the Olivas family. In 1927, a man named Max Fleischmann bought the property and restored it to its former glory. Fun fact, if you've ever made bread from scratch, you've most likely bought Fleischmann's yeast. Max is the son of the founder of Fleischmann's yeast and was a very wealthy man. Sadly, in 1972, Max died and as part of his will, the land was gifted to the city of Ventura and was to be turned into a museum to honor the early Latino farmers of the area. In 1979, the Alivas Adobe, as it was renamed, was added to the National Register of Historic Places. 
Almost immediately after this designation and conversion, staff and visitors started to notice some strange things. They would feel like they were being watched and they would see what they thought was a person out of the corner of their eye, only to look again and see nothing. Many people have also reported seeing rocking chairs move on their own or feel a breeze inside when all the windows and doors were closed. Along with these strange encounters, there have been many documented sightings of several different ghosts on the property. One of the most frequent and famous is that of the Lady in Black. The Lady in Black is often seen walking the second story in a long black morning dress. This is believed to be the ghost of Theodora, and many believe she is trying to keep her duties as the matriarch of the family intact and do her duty as the lady of the house. She was first seen by a gardener who was working on the property when it was closed. He noticed a woman standing and looking out of a second story window. The gardener thought that someone had broken in since the staff were all gone, so he called the police. When the police arrived, they searched the house and did not find anyone. Not only did they not find anyone, they also checked and reported that all the doors and windows were still locked and there was no way for anyone to get into the room without a key. Others have witnessed the same type of woman in, in black walking the balcony on the second story. Footsteps are frequently heard going up and down the steps, but when searched, no one is around. Interesting enough, when renovations were done on the house recently, all sightings of the woman in black have stopped. Another ghost often seen is believed to be that of Rebecca Olivas, daughter of the eldest Olivas' son, Nicholas. Guests and staff alike have witnessed a young girl wandering the, the upstairs children's room. In fact, on Halloween in 2001, around 100 people claimed to have witnessed the ghost of Rebecca outside of a doorway. Interestingly, in 2004, famed ghost hunter and historian Richard Sennett was doing a ghost uh, a tour slash ghost hunt and was talking about Rebecca in the children's room room when he caught what appeared to be a face in the window on a digital camera he was holding. Senate had the photo analyzed and enhanced, and the photo looked shockingly similar to that of Nicholas Olivas, Rebecca's father. What makes it even more strange is the fact that the window does not have a balcony or ledge and is roughly 16 feet in the air, so it's pretty unlikely that someone just happened to be walking by and got caught in a photo. Probably the most disturbing of the ghost sightings at Olivas Adobe is that of a ghost that the staff call Maria. Maria is believed to have been a servant at the house, but was brutally murdered by a house guest. Legend says that the house guest wanted Maria all to himself and wanted some extracurricular activity, if you know what I mean. He dragged her to what amounts for a closet, basically, and attempted to seduce her. When consensual attempts failed, this unknown house guest decided to do things forcefully. Now, I want to take a quick break, and I want to warn people and give a little bit of a trigger warning here. If you don't want to hear about some kind of violent acts, go ahead and skip forward about 30 seconds. Okay, so after being rebuffed by Maria, he physically and sexually assaults her in the closet. To add even more heinous actions to this, this douchebag, he gouges out her eyes with his bare hands before finally strangling her to death. He then stuffs her body behind some food bags and leaves the house. Maria's body was found by a cook later that day. When the Olivas family found out about the murder, they were outraged, and one of the sons rounded up a team and went after the house guest. Again, quick trigger warning here. Skip forward about 20 seconds. The son and his group allegedly caught up to the mound. They bound his hands, hung him by his neck, and while he was struggling to breathe, they stabbed him multiple times until he was dead. They then took his body and threw it into the local Satakoi Springs to rid themselves of the body. Lastly, another sighting has been seen of what is called the Phantom Cook. The cook is described as a woman with dark skin and black hair wearing a white blouse and gray skirt. 
This could be very plausible due to the fact that many of the servants on the ranch were that of the local Chumash Native American tribe. Many witnesses also claim to have seen her with a wooden spoon in her hand near the parlor room. And unsurprisingly, she's been seen in the kitchen many times as well as walking around the herb garden. Now, when I first read this, I thought it was just another story kind of just thrown in. It's like a little aside, like here's another ghost to add some flavor to what they're talking about. See what I did there? Cook flavor. Uh, <laughs> but I saw a name mentioned a few times on a couple different websites. So I decided to look into that name. And I'm glad I did because the name was Candelaria Valenzuela. Now, Candelaria led a fascinating yet very tragic life. Candelaria Escavel was a Chumash woman born in either 1836 or 1847, depending on which records you read. When she was 18, she married a man who was half Chumash by the name of Jose Epifacio del Refugio Rios. They had five children, but sadly all but one died before reaching adulthood. In 1881, she is listed as no longer being with Jose and living with her infant child in a neighborhood outside of Mission San Buenaventura. For those of you unfamiliar with the mission system in California, I won't go too deep because it's a pretty controversial topic, but basically in the late 1700s and early 1800s, a series of missions were built all up and down California by the Spanish in an effort to convert the local native population to Catholicism. This failed spectacularly, but the end result was a lot of forced colonization and Native American slaves. So for a woman like Candelaria living in this neighborhood meant she was most likely a quote-unquote mission Indian and didn't have much say in her life at this point. In 1883, however, Jose dies and Candelaria is able to move away and ends up going to get a job at the ranch of San Miguel as a cook and caretaker for the Olivas family. Well, soon after moving in, she is smitten with one of the Olivas sons named Jose Olivas. What can I say? She has a thing for guys named Jose, apparently. Anywho, Candelaria and Jose have two children, Nicolasa and Jose. Sally Nicolasa would die in 1893 at the age of eight, but both children were accepted and cared for by the Olivas family. This is a huge deal as Candelaria and Jose were never formally married. Sadly, Jose Olivas, her partner, died in 1911. It's un unknown what happened to her son Jose, but Candelaria moves out of the ranch and gets remarried once again. Her new husband is, I shit you not, a man named Jose Valenzuela. While the two of them do not have any children, they do live a good life. Candelaria began weaving baskets, and she is believed to be the last surviving Chumash woman who spoke the dialect of the Ventureño Chumash language and wove in the same name style of baskets. She recorded her language and gave demonstrations of the basket weaving for the Smithsonian, Smithsonian Museum. Sadly, and ultimately kind of fitting to her tragic life, Candelaria died in 1917 when she was cooking in her clothes caught fire and she was burned to death. With such an eventful and tragic life, why is Candelaria believed to be the phantom ghost? Well, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? Like she's Native American woman who cooked for the family. So she has a tie there. She was physically and familiarly tied to the house. And she had at least one son that was alive when she moved away. And she had a tragic ending to her life. And yes, she died far away from what is now known as the Alibis Adobe. But I, you know, you think about the life she was living at the mission and she was escaped that, found love at the ranch. I think it's a pretty strong bond to bring her back to that to the adobe after she passed now lastly no more ghost stories but i do want to leave you with an interesting story about the family i mentioned the wealth that don raimundo olivas had accrued right well like any other wealthy person of the day he liked to throw parties or fiestas for his friends and family these parties would sometimes last days and days and were bound to attract some unsavory sorts 
One such instance happened in 1855 when Olivas had a large gathering and days-long fiesta. At this one particular fiesta, a group of bandits arrived and tied the family up and searched the grounds for valuable. Raimundo, thinking quickly, ordered one of his servants to gather up his gold and valuables and bury them far away from the house. The servant complied while Raimundo distracted the bandits. When the servant returned, the bandits shot him for hiding the gold before fleeing to try to find where he buried it. But since they shot him before he could say where, they never found the gold. Our good friend Mr. Sinnott believes a different tale happened. He believes that the servant never buried the gold, but rather the bandits knocked Teodora Olivas to the ground and ripped off her earrings. When this caused a commotion, the bandits ran off with the treasure and they fled into the nearby hills. Raimundo rounded up a group of his best men and went looking for them. Allegedly, when the bandits heard that they were being tracked by such a large group, they buried the treasure in the mountains between Ventura and Santa Barbara before splitting up or being killed. One of the bandits, a man by the name of Encarnacion Bellasia, allegedly escaped the group and was overheard bragging about a bar in nearby city of Los Angeles. He told the patrons about stealing the gold and burying it and getting away. Upon hearing this, the good patrons grabbed the man, dragged him outside, and hung him outside the bar. The gold was supposedly never found, so I say we get a group together and we go looking for some gold. I'm so down. <laughs> now, finally, I mentioned that I've been to Olivas Adobe myself, and I wanted to kind of share a couple of my experiences. First of all, my first time there was when I was in fourth grade, and it was so much fun. Um, you got to make the <laughs> Adobe bricks where like you take your shoes off and you fop around in the mud and they throw the hay and the clay and all that stuff together. Um, and then we made like the hand ground, like corn tortillas and like you ate them like fresh, like you just make them like right there. And it's to this day, the best tortillas I've ever had in my life. As an adult and someone who went on a ghost tour with Mr. Sennett, I can say that the place is definitely creepy. It's an old house. Uh, there's a ton of like creaks and like sounds when you're walking around. Um, the floor is wooden as is like the stairwell and the walkways and a lot of the stuff in the house. So you can definitely hear footsteps. But the skeptic side of me also knows that there's a lot of people walking around. There's people kind of all over the place. And so sound travels strangely in some of these old houses. I didn't personally see anything on my tour, but I have friends who have claimed to have seen the ghost of Rebecca, like little girls there. I would love to go back again. And hopefully if and when this pandemic is over, we can take a trip and record from the Adobe or nearby. And that, my bearded friends, is the story of the ghosts that inhabit the Olivas Adobe. Awesome, man. And I will say you did leave one person out when you, you were mentioning the how the land was granted by the governor. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So, uh, interesting. I, I really love that story. It hits a little close to home. The mm -hmm. uh, The land was actually granted to uh, Mr. Adobe, uh, Olivas, as well as one Felipe Lorenzana. And that is my great, great, great ex ex whatever great grandfather. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my family was intertwined with all of that stuff that happened there. And uh, now I don't own any of that land. And uh, <laughs> oh. yeah, but yeah, that that's awesome, man. And it's, it's good to hear a hometown horror from the town you're from. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. But yeah, we should definitely go back and check it out and see what's up with them corn tortillas. Cause uh, those oh, are hell really yeah. good. Yeah, by far the best part. <laughs> Yeah, man. Awesome job. Great story. And Thank uh, you. all right. So if somebody wanted to write in, give us a story, uh, give us something for Campfire Tales, which will be coming back soon, I promise. Just it's yes. kind of crazy right now. And we are like building up stock. 
So if somebody wanted to, to write in, say, hey, give us a campfire tale or just uh, want to say hello, where could they do that? Yeah, they can do that in any of our social medias. They can go to Instagram. Our Instagram is at Bearded Things Pod. You can also go to Facebook. It's facebook.com slash bearded friends. We also have a Facebook group. It's the Bearded Friends, the Bearded Things Bearded Friends group. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good conversations. We share some memes and um, post some different things that are just kind of happening in the world of spooky and crazy and science stuff right now. So it's a cool place. Come check it out. Please don't be shy. Um, you can also go to our YouTube, which is at Bearded Things, and our Twitter is at Bearded Things Pod. You can message us on any of those social media sites. You can also email us at contact us at beardedthings.com or go to our website, beardedthings.com. There's a contact us page. Fill that out. It goes straight to our email. We will be able to respond to it relatively quickly. Um, yeah, reach out to us. Say hi, like Chris said. If you have a story you want to share, please share the story. I promise you it's not too crazy or too weird. We won't judge you. If you just want to talk, things are getting kind of crazy with the holidays. Everyone's kind of feeling down. I personally have been in a funk for like two weeks. If you want to talk about it, please feel free to share with us. We would love to talk to you and help out however we can. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. And uh, I think that that concludes this week's episode. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.